Uh, I don't know about you guys, but anytime someone says a way they recharge is barbecuing, I think that's an invitation. So, I mean, if any of you know where his house is, if you could let me know, I would love to join you all there. Um, it's great to be with all of you this evening. Uh, you, you know, like uh, he was saying, I am local to the Bay Area. I'm from the great state of Southern California. Anyone else from SoCal in here? I do call it a separate state because it is. I moved up here and I was like, might as well be moving across the country. I try to play it up like a lot worse than it is. You know, it's about 400 miles. I'm like you guys, this is a different world. You just don't understand. There's no real beaches here. If you've been to SoCal, you understand you don't wear a sweatshirt to the beach. You come up here and I'm bringing blankets, okay? So it's just a different world, uh, but I've been here since 2015. Uh, it's been great to be a part of the Bay Area community and get to know a little more of this area, and uh, I've been doing work at churches uh, for the last seven years, and so it's been cool to kind of see in a different context um, how it is that people uh, live and serve uh, and seek after Jesus in this space, uh, which is a really unique space to seek after Jesus. Jesus, if you've been here for any amount of time. Um, anyone here live with roommates, just by show of hands? Yeah, all right. So I live with a couple of roommates in San Mateo. Anyone from San Mateo? Wow, all the introverts, crazy. All right, that's what's up. Um, so it's fantastic to be uh, down on the peninsula with you guys uh, a little bit this evening. Uh, if you don't mind, if you would just join me uh, in a word of prayer as we get started. Jesus, thank you so much um, for this opportunity to be together this evening. Uh, God, I ask that it would not be uh, any of my words or my ideas um, coming through this message tonight, but that, God, uh, you would speak to the people that you have in this room to speak to tonight. Uh, Jesus, I ask that you clear away all distractions. There's so much to distract us. There's so much to um, get in our way. Uh, and God, tonight we want to just be uh, present. We want to take a deep breath. We want to be present. We want to hear from your word and from your spirit. Uh, and we want to uh, be able to receive what it is that you have for us. Uh, God, we ask you in the mighty name of Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit, uh, that you show up to us tonight in ways that we can see and understand, that you give us eyes to see, that you give us ears to hear, uh, because ultimately, God, that is what we need to be able to receive from you. We love you so much, Jesus, but it's only because you loved us first. May we understand that a little bit more this evening. Pray all of this in your name. Amen. Amen. Um, I'm one of those people that uh, loves to try new things. And if, it, if I feel like there's no, things, uh, no new things to try, I'll go ahead and make up new things to do to try. Uh, if, if anyone else in here feels the same way, I see a few of you nodding your heads. Let's talk afterwards and we can swap ideas, okay? Uh, last year, uh, about a year and a half ago, I was coming up on my 25th birthday and I thought, man, what could I do to celebrate uh, just kind of for the heck of it all year long, right? And I thought, what if I tried? I love traveling. I absolutely love traveling. I'm the type of person... Um, here we go. I've, I've had scotch tape on my phone for six months because I don't want to spend the money on a new phone. I would rather spend it on a plane ticket. Okay. So you understand all of you who like work for Apple are judging me. It's okay. We judge you because you make us buy dongles for your phones. You know, you know so, so, so I decided for my 25th birthday, I was going to try to travel to 25 cities, but I'm a little bit of an amateur musician. Like I learned the chords on the guitar, I sing and whatnot, um, but, but I'm not quite good enough to really book a venue. You know, it's that weird in between where you're like good enough that people go, oh, you sing, but you're not good enough that anybody hires you, you know? And so I decided I'm going to put myself on tour. This is going to be a great time. Everybody judge me for it. It's okay. 
I had a great time. I just walked around telling people I put myself on tour for an entire year. I said, I'm going to travel to 25 cities. I'm going to play in 25 cities. People started asking me what I meant by that. I said, I don't know yet. I'm going to figure that out as I go. And I started just traveling, booking tickets, calling old friends and saying, hey, can I come and visit? Hey, do you want to go on a trip with me? Hey, let's do this and that and the other thing. Um, naturally, the first person that you call in an, in an occasion like this is the person that you want to hear the yes from, right? Is the person that you just know has to go with whatever you're going with. And so I called my brother, my little brother. I said, hey, man, I'm coming through. And he had to say yes. Um, and so... And so it was great. I called him and I said, hey, he was, he's in the army. He's stationed uh, outside of Atlanta. And he said, oh, sweet. I have a few days on leave. That's great. I'll come through. You can play this local bar in town, blah, blah, blah. It was an open mic. It was me and about, you know, 50 people over 65. So it was really, uh, I was coming out the gate really strong. Um, and we decided to rent a car and to drive down to Florida uh, but also, if you know anything about me and a millennial, uh, it, as you can tell by the scotch tape on my phone, uh, I don't mind doing things the cheap way here and there. And so me and my brother thought, man, why would we rent a, a car and a hotel room when we just have the car? You know, like, let's just drive to Florida and we have the car to sleep in. Uh, this was actually his idea. I supported it until I started thinking through the implications of it. Like I said, I planned 25 cities without planning them, okay? So you're getting an idea of who I am in this. Uh, so, so we got in this car and we started driving down to Florida and we we got to the, you know, kind of the, the tip of Florida in one day, and, you know, other states aren't as big as California, so you can actually drive through more than one in a day. It's crazy. Uh, so we got to Florida, and we stopped in this place, and he pulled into a parking lot, and I said, man, I don't know that this is the parking lot we need to sleep in tonight. I don't feel like this is a great idea, and he's just kind of on top of the world, and he's strong and tall and all those things. He's in the army. He's like one of those people who's just not afraid of anything. It's incredible. We're from the same parents, and I'm, I'm not sure how that works sometimes. He's the type of person that will run to a fight, and I'll go, we could talk about it, or we could not. Either way. And so he says, let's, let's just stay in this parking lot. This is no, this is no problem. Look, I swear to you, I'm telling you the truth. We got woken up three times by security guards. He decided not to move every time. Okay? I, it, was, I, I, it was incredible. I've never seen anything like it. But he was so confident. And it was interesting because as the night kind of progressed, we, we were like, man, we're just not going to stop. We're going we're gonna to power all the way through there and back, Florida to Georgia. One day we're going to do this. One night of sleep. And, and it was incredible. Every time the guard knocked on the, on, the, on the window, he would roll it down. And he'd say, you need to move. My brother would go, okay. And he'd just move to the other side of the parking lot. Just wait for the next security guard shift to come and go, sir, you need to move. And it was interesting because in that position, I never would have done that. I never would have had the guts to get into a situation that I knew I was going to get in trouble for that I knew that I was going to have to answer for, that I knew was going to be uncomfortable uh, or unsafe. But because my brother was with me, there was a certain amount of, of uh, tenacity or just, ah, I don't care, it's going to be fine, that kind of came through. And it was interesting, as the night progressed and then into the next day, I felt my confidence rising, not because I had particularly changed at all or not because I had felt uh, supremely confident about our choices of lodging. I didn't do that for the other 24 cities, I'm going to be honest. That was the one and only time I did that. Uh, but I felt this confidence rising just because I was with someone who was confident. I felt this confidence rising because I was with someone who said, I'll take care of it. And I said, I don't want to do this. I bailed out last minute. I said, I'll pay for the hotel room. And he said, no, no, no. If they, if they knock on the window or something, I will take care of it. I've got you. 
don't stress, go to sleep. You need to drive tomorrow. I'm not going to drive the whole way. He ended up driving the whole way, but he was trying to get me to shut up, right? And, and, and so it was incredible. I was, I was thinking about this recently, and I was thinking what a difference it makes when we're with someone who we have confidence in and how our situation can actually go from bad to worse to 2 a.m. with the third security guard knocking on the window. The, the situations can keep going downhill, and yet when the people that we're with are worth trusting, or when the people that we're with is someone who says, I'll take care of it, and then they do over and over and over again, something happens to us. We, we fundamentally change and say, oh, wait, no, I want that. Wait, wait, no, I want to be a part of that. And today the passage that we're looking at uh, is, is fundamentally this story of a, a God-man, the person of Jesus Christ, coming into a situation that keeps going from bad to worse. And the people in it are invited not immediately into a changed circumstance, not immediately into peace and tranquility and stillness, but rather first invite it into the presence of someone who is peace and then to a change of circumstances. With that being said, uh, would you pull out your phones uh, or if you, if you have a, a paper Bible, uh, more power to you. Uh, I, I went to the church with my parents last year and they pulled out their phones and I pulled out my paper Bible and I said, something's wrong with this picture. Um, so pull out your Bibles, pull out your phones. We're turning to Mark 6 this evening. Mark 6, uh, if, you're, if you're Googling this or pulling this up, you can go Mark 6, uh, starting in verse 45. Mark 6, 45. Mark 6, 45. Uh, I'm reading out of the NLT, the New Living Translation. It says this, immediately after this, anytime, <laughs> we're going we're gonna to pause right there. Anytime you're in scripture and it says immediately, don't keep reading forward, you need to read backwards. So what I'm going to do for you guys is, uh, this is kind of, we're jumping into, uh, you, you know when you walk, into, you walk into a room of a friend or a roommate or something, they're watching something on TV and it looks kind of interesting and you realize they're on like the fourth season and the seventh episode of the fourth season and you have no idea what's happening and I have to pause it and go back to the recap for you. That's what we're doing right now. So I'm going to give you a really fast recap. Immediately after this, what's happened so far in chapter six is this. Uh, the book of Mark is a biography of the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus claims, uh, he hits the scene in the book of Mark and immediately claims uh, to be the son of God, to be one with God himself. And, the, and Mark uh, is a biographer of this person of Jesus. There's four biographies, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and they all tell different angles on this same person, Jesus. If you've ever heard uh, friends tell versions of a story, how many of you guys have sat around a table and someone said, you know, you, you meet like a couple or something, you say, how'd you guys meet? And it's two completely different stories. It, you know, it's like, it, I don't, are you sure you're dating each other type of situation? Um, this, is, this is a little bit of what we see in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is there's different angles and different perspectives on these stories of Jesus. So what Mark is chronicling in this chapter six, in this episode six, uh, is there's four things that's happened in this chapter. At the beginning of the chapter, Jesus is questioned on the basis of his heritage. Uh, people question who he is. Where did you come from? Why do you have all this power? What, you say you're the son of God. You're doing miracles. Don't we know your dad? He's a carpenter. This doesn't make any sense. Immediately following that, Jesus has a really big day on the job. He basically has a product launch of the 12 disciples. He's been training these 12 guys who are following him around, and he essentially says to them, all right, Better test one. Let's see how you do. Go cast out some demons. They do all right. 
they come back, and, uh, and that's the second piece that happens here. The third piece is that Jesus' cousin is murdered by a political tyrant. So Jesus personally has a tragedy strike. Uh, he's close with his cousin. His cousin is one of the few people in his family who understand him. Uh, and his cousin is murdered by a political tyrant. Uh, so we see Jesus has pressure from outside. He has pressure from inside. Uh, he's face to face with tragedy. And the final thing that happens is he tries to get some peace and quiet in the wake of this family tragedy. He actually leaves to try and get some peace and quiet and is mobbed by about 15,000 people. Uh, his fame is spreading. He's powerful. He's mobbed by about 15,000 people who say, we want to see miracles. We want to see signs. We want to see wonders. Um, and they don't have any food. So as any rational person would do, he multiplies bread and fish, and just feeds everybody. Uh, is one of the skills I would love to have. I pray for this. Jesus says, ask and you'll receive. I haven't received this one yet, but I'm working on it. Uh, and so, so these, are, these are kind of the things that lead up to where we are. So when it says immediately after this, it's important for us to keep in mind that what's actually happening is that Jesus has had a massive amount happen in a short amount of time. He's dealing with personal tragedy. He's dealing with pressure from the people around him. He's dealing with actual, uh, you know, kind of kind of the first century influencer uh, issues. His phone keeps blowing up. He keeps getting mobbed by people, right? Uh, he has a tremendous amount on his plate. And so we start uh, in this place. So Mark 6, 45, immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and head across the lake to Bethsaida while he sent the people home. After telling everyone goodbye, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Late that night, the disciples were in their boat in the middle of the lake, and Jesus was alone on land. He saw they were in serious trouble, rowing hard and struggling against the wind and the waves. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them, walking on the water. He intended to go past them. That line is important. We're going to come back to that. If you, if you have that, uh, you want to highlight it. He intended to go past them. He intended to go past them, but when they saw him walking on the water, they cried out in terror, thinking he was a ghost. They were all terrified when they saw him. But Jesus spoke to them at once. Do not be afraid, he said. Take courage, I am here. Then he climbed into the boat, and the wind stopped. They were totally amazed, for they still didn't understand the significance of the miracle of the loaves. Their hearts were too hard to take it all in. Uh, really quickly, you, you have a little bit made friends with the people around you. You now know some very personal information about whether they're an introvert or an extrovert. So I'm going to ask you guys to do something together here. Um, I think this story is a remarkable story for so many reasons. And as I was studying it and preparing for tonight, uh, I, I kept coming across layer after layer. There's so much that's good in here about the person of Jesus. But it's interesting to me, this story is one that has um, had artistic license taken maybe a little too far. So here's what we're going to do. If you could turn to those two or three people maybe that you, uh, that you chatted with already. And what I'd like you to do is grab your phones and Google Jesus walking on water and pick your favorite image in the first couple pages of image results. Which, which, which of these pictures you go, oh man, this is a classic right here. It could be because it's ridiculous. It could be because it's meaningful. But go ahead and grab your phone, Google Jesus walking on water, and do an image search or, or whatever search engine you use. If it's not Google, I don't actually know. Google image search Jesus walking on water and turn to two or three people around you 
and and share, man, this image right here, this one's crazy, or this one's really, really relevant. Jesus walking on water and turned to two or three people next to you. Keep in mind, this story was set in the first century in a, in a bit of a peasant context. <laughs> so if he's wearing like really nice purple robes, that's probably inaccurate. If he's white, that's probably inaccurate. <laughs> you, you all are nodding like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Some of you just airdropping these pictures to each other right now. Ah, here's your new screensaver. Some of you've got entertainment for days. So here's, here's why I ask you to do that. I, I thought about pulling a couple of the pictures and just putting them up here, but it's a little more fun to see what grabs each of you. Here's why I ask you to do that. This story is remarkable for a number of reasons. I think perhaps the one that is most striking to me is this. I have always thought, I've never seen this in this story before now. I've heard this story a number of times. I've never seen this before now. I've always thought of Jesus walking on water as a really majestic, controlled, beautiful, poetic, artistic moment. And then I was reading this, and and it says that these disciples, it says that Jesus saw they were in serious trouble, rowing hard and struggling against the wind and the waves. And then there's no, there's no addressing the wind and the waves, and Jesus starts walking on water. And I started thinking about the implications of this, because I've always seen the Jesus with the long, flowy hair, you know, walking on the water, and he's super casual about it, as one is when they're walking on water. And then I started realizing the storm never turned off. And I started thinking, why would Jesus do this? If he has the power, if I have the power, let's just put it this way. If I have the power to walk on water, I am going to do so comfortably. You know, there's, there's going to be like a seat warmer in this situation. You know, like this is going to be a great time. I'm not necessarily interested if I'm walking on water and getting chilled to the bone. I'm not necessarily interested in getting whipped by the wind and the waves. I'm not necessarily interested in a route that goes something like this over and above the waves I'm more interested in just a nice clean path and keeping my hair looking good, okay, or something like that, right? And Jesus in this story is actually completely unconcerned with his own comfort. And I started asking why, and I started wondering why would, why would he who has all authority and power over the wind and the waves, at the end of the story, he, he silences the storm. Why wouldn't he do that for himself, Why would he choose to walk on the water? Why would he choose to walk through a storm and experience severe personal discomfort just to get to the other side if he has the power and authority to walk on the storm? And so I started started thinking through, who, who, who is this God that would do things like this? I started thinking through my, my personal preference for comfort and how it drives so much of how I think. 
And I started wondering why comfort was not a priority for this God. And then I started thinking, you know, we, we tell these stories about Jesus. Uh, we, we celebrate at Christmas time uh, this baby that's born in a manger, that's born in a stable, and, and he's born into this mess. And he says, you know, he, it's declared that he's the savior of the whole world. And he's born in a, in a cave to, to an illegitimate family situation among animals. And I started thinking, why would he do that? Why would, why would the God who has all power and authority, why would, he, why would he be born in such a messy situation? And I started thinking about the stories of after Jesus is resurrected, he's, he's killed on the cross, he's crucified, he's murdered, and he's, and he's put to death, and then he raises from the dead three days later, just like he said he would. And there's a tiny little story that follows the resurrection where he's walking with two men on a road. It's the road to Emmaus, and he's walking with these two men, and he's so ordinary He's walking. He, by this point, his, his body has the power to walk through walls, and he walks from one city to the other. Very ordinary. So ordinary that these two men completely miss it. They have no idea who they're talking to. They said, did you hear about Jesus? To Jesus. That's how much they missed it. They said, did you hear about the man that got crucified? To the man who had holes in his hands. Completely missed it. And I started wondering, what, what is it about this story that that's, he, he intends to go past them? He walks over wind and waves. What is happening? It's interesting because this biography uh, that Mark writes about the person of Jesus Christ has a couple of main points uh, in it. This biography uh, is particularly interested in showing off an authoritative suffering servant. He's particularly interested in showing off an authoritative suffering servant. It's interesting because in the first half of the scriptures, we have all these prophecies and predictions about a, a God-man is going to come. Jesus is going to come. And, and we hear these echoes and these calls of, of a Savior that's going to come and rescue us from our brokenness, rescue us from our storms, rescue us from our incessant desire to have stillness and peace. And he's going to give us these things. But it's interesting because in these prophecies and predictions, over and over again, we're told that this Savior will suffer. We're told that all power and authority is going to be given to this Savior. And then we're told that also he's going to suffer and be trampled on and be nothing, nothing to look at. Something that we're just going to pass right by. And so Mark, over and over again, if you go and you read, if you were just to sit down and read the book of Mark, Start to finish, 16 chapters. If you go home and read that tonight, you would see this theme carried throughout this entire biography. It's focused in on this element of the fact that this man, Jesus, who says, I'm the son of God, I've come down from heaven to save you from your sins. He is there for both power and authority and for suffering and for understanding where we are as humans. And so we see Jesus step out on the water in this story, and we see him step out not into a, a clear path that he's paved for himself, not into comfort, not into, into pleasantness, not into clear skies, but we actually see him step into a storm that his disciples are trapped in and not even turn the storm off for himself. This is the suffering servant that's echoed all the way through the book of Mark to the very moment in which he's crucified. This is the God-man who says, I will walk what you have walked before you ever walk it. 
This is the belief of Christianity that, that sets us apart from any other belief system in the world that says we have a God who not just invites us to enlightenment, not just invites us uh, to transcendence, not just invites us uh, to escape all of our problems. We have a God who actually comes into our problems, who calls himself Emmanuel, God with us, the suffering servant. And so we see this piece that says, uh, Jesus saw that they were in serious trouble, rowing hard and struggling against the wind and the waves, and he came toward them walking on water. And then this, and then this haunting line says, he intended to go past them. I kind of laughed when I first read that, like, this is, this is a little bit of a stand-up on his part. It seems really rude, right? You know, if you, you have the power to walk on, on the waves and the wind, and, and you have the power to get across the sea, and you sent them on a boat knowing the storm was going to come, that seems kind, of, it seems kind of rude. It seems uncalled for, right? Uh, it seems like he could have done them one better. But what had happened right before this was that Jesus, after, after multiplying the fish and the bread, it's, it's really interesting, uh, in, in one of the other biographies in John, it says of this same story that immediately after the miracle of mul multiplying bread and fish, um, the people actually tried to take Jesus by force and make him king. And the disciples wanted that to happen. They didn't understand that Jesus' kingdom is upside down. They actually were ready for him to take Rome by force. They were ready for him to put himself up as king by force and just fix all the circumstances immediately. And Jesus actually says, nope, get in the boat. Get in the boat. You're going to fall to this temptation. Get in the boat. And he knew there was going to be a storm, but what he did was he saved them from themselves. The storm was actually a safer place to be than with themselves on the edge of the sea. And so he puts them in the boat, and he walks towards them on the water, and he knows he'll get to the other, they'll get to the other side, but he walks by them intending to go past them, intending to meet on the other side. And what do the disciples do? They cry out. I, I, have, I have a very simple question for us tonight. I have a very simple point and a very simple question. The very simple point is this, that Jesus comes to us. Over and over and over again in Scripture, in my own experience, in the heritage, the 2,000-year heritage that we have uh, as Christians, the story is this, God comes to us. Never once in the history of Christianity has any good Christian gone to Jesus first. Every single time Jesus comes to us first. God comes to us, and this story illustrates this perfectly. In just a handful of verses, it illustrates this perfectly, that Jesus comes to us, but he never, he never, don't miss this, he never pushes himself on us. He walks by in full demonstration of his power and authority. He says, I don't even have to turn off the storm to walk through. I don't even have to shut the wind and waves down so I have a place to walk. I can walk through the middle of a storm with perfect stillness and peace. But unless we call out to him, he doesn't necessarily climb in the boat. He comes to us. He meets us in the storm. He meets us in the wind and the waves. He's in it with us. He's Emmanuel. He's God with us. But until the disciples cried out, and they didn't even have the right words. They go, it's a ghost. I mean, you, you mistake the Son of God for a ghost. Like, you, that's pretty far off, right? They didn't even have the right words. They said, it's a ghost. It's a spirit. It's, they, they were superstitious. Fishermen in this day were superstitious. They, they bent to all their own superstitions. And Jesus says, no, 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 it's me. Don't be afraid. It's I. Don't be afraid. 
Jesus comes to us. And some of you guys in here tonight just simply need to be reminded that Jesus comes to you. Some of you need to stop trying so hard. I know because that's often me. Some of us need to just stop trying so hard uh, to power through and to earn God's approval and to do all the right things and say all the right stuff and serve all the right ways. And we need to remember that God is actually walking through the storm right next to us and all we have to do is call out. And he says, no, 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 it's me. I'm with you. Don't be afraid. Some of us just need that simple reminder. Some of us need this reminder, need to be told this for the very first time, that, wow, there's, a, there's an all-powerful God who's not interested in making my life picture-perfect and turning off all the storms, but he actually wants to come to me in the middle of it? So here's my, here's my very simple question for you tonight. Some of you here tonight, life, life is going really well. That's, that's awesome. That when there's seasons like that, when there's phases of life that go well, that's fantastic. You don't got to make up a problem, okay? But some of us, some of us have storms and have problems going on, and we're wondering, maybe for the first time or maybe for the hundredth time, if there's a God that's actually going to be with us in this storm. And maybe we've, maybe we've mistaken in our thinking the fact that he hasn't turned the storm off yet to say that he's not with us. But the story of this Emmanuel, the story of this God-man, is that he consistently comes in the middle of the mess. And then he demonstrates his power. And then the storm goes off. But first he wants us to see that he's present in the mess. So my question tonight for those of you who are in storms is, do you want to call out? That's all. Do you want to call out? Maybe you don't want to call out. Do you want to want to call out? Sometimes that's enough. But do you want to call out right in the middle of the mess without, without any uh, perfection in the way that you do it? Are you willing to call out in the storm? Uh, I'm, I'm going I'm to close with this story. Um, a couple of summers ago, I got, the, I got the call that no one really wants to get. I'm, I'm very close with my older sister, um, and I got a phone call from her saying, hey, we had, we've started uh, some tests. I think, I'm, I, think I might have cancer. Um, and that's, and that's kind of the call that turns your world upside down. Um, and over the course of a few weeks, uh, a couple of months actually, uh, we got all the diagnoses and, and got the news back that she did actually have uh, cancer, that she was diagnosed with breast cancer, and she would be starting treatment um, soon. And my, uh, my world turned upside down really quickly. Um, within a, a, a number of, uh, I think it was six months, I got another phone call that my brother's youngest son was diagnosed with leukemia, um, and our family kind of, <laughs> you know, we, we like made all the inappropriate jokes you probably shouldn't when cancer hits your family twice in a year. Um, we, you know, started saying like, all right, who's in the Deadpool for who's next? Um, but but it, was, it was crazy. Like we didn't know what to do with this and my whole world turned upside down because all of a sudden I had to watch two people who were very dear to me, a three-year-old boy and my, and my older sister who's like my best friend. Uh, you, if any of you have walked with someone through cancer, you know it, it, it uh, frays their flesh in, in really uh, hor- horrific ways to watch. It kind of eat you from the inside out. And both of them are, are on the path to healing now uh, and, and kind of maintaining some, some sort of new normalcy. But for a year and a half, I remember, I remember thinking, uh, God, however this story ends, I'm not even concerned about how this story is going to end right now. I'm concerned about where you are in the mess of things right now. I'm kind of confused. Why haven't you turned this storm off? 
Why haven't you, why haven't you flipped the switch? Why, why do you keep asking me to step out on, the, on this water and on these wind and on these waves? Why haven't you turned this storm off? What's, what's happening in this? And what's incredible is God said to me over and over and over again, just this very simple truth of saying, I'm Katie, I'm with you. I'm with your sister. I'm with your nephew. I'm with you. Is that enough? And I remember distinctly, I flew, I flew down to Southern California for a, a couple of the treatments and, and sat in, in chemo with my sister. And I remember sitting there and watching her uh, interact with the nurses and interact with me. And I remember, I remember sitting there absolutely baffled because I saw Jesus in a chemo ward. And I never would have thought to look for him there. There's this beautiful line by, uh, by a, a Malawian poet, um, Apuli Chasala. He, she says, uh, love, you wouldn't believe all the places I thought I would find you. And I think tonight the invitation uh, is to find Jesus in your chemo ward. Uh, to find stillness, to find this peace. Uh, not because your circumstances still but because you find that God, Emmanuel, is with you in them. So I'd love to invite you to something. If you would, just close your eyes for a second. Uh, I, I truly believe that we are whole people, that when something happens um, in our minds, uh, when something happens in our hearts, when something happens in our spirits, when something happens in our souls, uh, we want to respond physically. We sometimes have to respond physically to make it real. So for some, of you, uh, for some of you tonight, you have a storm in mind. You have your own version of a chemo ward. You have your own version of a, of a job loss. You have your own version of a family tragedy. You have your own version of, of whatever it is, that storm uh, that's happening in your life right now. And for some of you tonight, uh, maybe you were coming in here hoping that you would hear a, a, a word that says God is with you and he's going to turn the storm off immediately. But some of you came in here and actually just heard, no, God is with me. He is Emmanuel. He was God with me. He's walking in this storm with me. He hasn't turned the storm off for me, and he hasn't turned the storm off for himself, but he is with me, and I'm ready to cry out. I'm ready to call out and say, God, I just need to see you in this space. God, I need to see you in this struggle. God, I need to see you in this pain. God, I need to see you in these winds and in these waves. This is the distinctive of, of the person of Jesus is that he is the one who comes to us every single time. So right now in this space, uh, with, with your eyes closed and, and uh, in the space of your own heart and your own mind, uh, I want to invite you to a physical response, uh, not because not it does anything for anyone else, but because it just gives you a chance to say, oh, this is real to me. Uh, this is real. I'm, I'm experiencing something that I need to remember. Uh, and what I'm going to ask you to do is just to slip your hand up. If you're in a, if you're in a storm and you just need uh, the reminder uh, and you say, God, I'm crying out. I don't have the right words. I don't have the right uh, system. I don't have the right understanding. I don't, I don't even understand you totally, God. But I need you in this storm. I need to know you're with me. I need to know that eventually you will shut this storm off. Maybe soon, maybe on the other side of eternity, you will conquer this. Would you just put your hands up uh, if that's you tonight and you say, man, I, I need to remember. I need to remember Jesus is with me and he's not shutting off the storm. He's not in a hurry to shut off the storm, but he's in a hurry to get to me. Thank you so much. I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray for each one of you to put your hands up. Jesus. 
Jesus, thank you that you are Emmanuel, that from the beginning to the end of your life on earth, from uh, birth in a messy manger to a, to a brutal death on a cross, that, God, you are someone who's not afraid of mess. You're not afraid of us having the wrong words. You're not afraid of us uh, being lost and confused in our search for purpose and stillness and value within you. God, some of us uh, just need to know that you're not afraid of the storm, that you've stepped into it with us. God, for every person to put their hands up uh, tonight and just say, I need you in this storm. I need you in this storm of, of figuring out my finances. I need you in this storm of figuring out my sexuality. I need you in this storm of figuring out my friendships. I need you in this storm of figuring out my family. I need you in this storm of figuring out where I'm going to live. I need you in this storm of my work. I need you in this storm of my own purpose. I need you in this storm of my mental illness. God, uh, would you remind every single person, would you put your hands on their hearts tonight and remind them uh, that they can be be still within themselves, that they can walk on water even in the midst of the storm, not because of anything they've done, but because of who you are, Jesus. Would you remind us of your character? Would you remind us that you are the one who makes a way when there is no way? Would you remind us that you are the beginning and the end, that you have walked alongside many of us through valleys and you will do it again? Jesus, we do love you so much, but it is only because you have come to us first. You have come to us in our storms and you invite us to, to the mess. And then you do eventually climb in the boat and you say, ah, oh, that's enough to the wind and the waves. And you turn it all off eventually. Whether here or on the other side of eternity, you turn it all off eventually. So we praise you in the waiting room and we praise you in the victory and we praise you in the storm, Jesus. All of this in your mighty name. Amen.